I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. How long does it take to see results? Many sports can become addicting mentally because we are able to see results when we put in the work. With running, it's very easy to measure our results and our progress because we time things like workouts, pace, distance, and the numbers don't lie. It can be really easy to get addicted to seeing the paces get faster and the distance gets longer. When you reach a new level, you want to keep reaching that next level. And runners who've been in this sport for over a decade will share their wisdom that eventually it starts to get harder and harder to see those results and to see those big gains in fitness. This is news that no new runner wants to hear, but it is the reality that happens as athletes just tiptoe closer and closer to their potential in the sport. And there's also limitations that prevent people from training more. So even if you have even more potential with the sport of running or any sport, sometimes people just don't have the time and resources to dedicate to getting to that next level because we all have careers, we have other things that we do besides running. But during this podcast, we're going to be chatting a little bit about how long it takes to see those results and what the factors are that can take someone longer to see the results in running. Um, Some of the main topics we're going to talk about is the law of diminishing returns, um, what that is, and how that plays into um, account when we're talking about running and getting faster. The second topic we're going to be covering is limiting factors to how fast that you can become. So we're going to talk a little bit about genetics, um, just plain old time and how much work you're able to put in. The third topic we're going to be covering is how long it's going to take to see results. So going from a five-hour marathon down to a four-hour marathon, how long that would take versus going from like a four-hour marathon to a three-hour marathon and how those are a little bit different. The fourth topic we're going to be covering is why do some people improve faster than others. So we've all seen it before. Maybe we've been running for a couple of years and then our friend who's never ran before picks up running and within a year they're running a sub four hour marathon. So it can be kind of difficult to watch other people really excel in the sport when you've been doing it for way longer and you're not even at the same level as someone who maybe just started. But we're going to talk about what factors kind of come into play there. And then last we're going to be talking about how long it 
takes to actually see results when you start training. So from a physiological standpoint, um, how long does it actually take to see gains from starting a new training program? So let's say you started working with us, like how soon physiologically do you start seeing results? How long is that process and all of that fun stuff? So to kick things off, I will hand it over to you, Jason. What is the law of diminishing returns? Yeah, this is definitely a great topic. There's a lot to unpack here. When we think about this in, in, from the runner's perspective, to me, it, it talks about, um, you know, the longer you do something, so you're putting output into your running, um, the results aren't going to be as great as they were down the road early on. And so you, know, you have to change certain factors to get different results. So early on, um, you might get a, a drastic, um, you know, pace increase by just increasing your mileage, right? And so um, it's kind of the first thing we're going to do as runners, as beginner runners, you might um, dabble with like a 5k event and you might find that you can take off a minute um, pretty quickly, but then the longer you run, it's going to be more difficult to take time off, right? So the return, um, the longer you run, the improvements might be shortened, you know, to 20 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds, so on. And so um, without adjust, making any adjustments to training, um, that's where the your return is going to diminish over time. So you have to add in new kind of stress or stimuli, other variables to help kind of get to a new result. Right, definitely. And that's a law that really applies to pretty much anything in life, right? So mm -hmm. when you first start doing something, you're able to see this like hockey stick curve of improvement where it just goes up, 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 up. And then eventually you kind of like reach this point where it really starts to level out and to get to that next level, you have to just put in like so much more work. Um, and I think that's really what sets apart people who are you know, great at a certain sport. I mean, you look at people like Tiger Woods or Serena Williams, right? I know they've done documentaries on um, the Williams sisters and just looking at their history and like how much time that they put in compared to maybe someone else who was also a tennis player, but you really have to look at how much work someone's putting in because sometimes as runners, it's really easy to like want to label people as like, oh, they have a ton of natural talent. But what could actually be happening is like when they reach that kind of tip of the hockey tip curve where it starts to flatten out and things start to stagnate. They just keep doing every little thing they can to get that like 0.1%, 0.1%. And that's the part that really differentiates people who are like great athletes, like the Tom Brady's of the world right. and the, the Kipchoge people versus, you know, people who maybe just don't have the time to do all of those like extra 0.1% things because we all have different commitments. Like, we have careers, we have kids, so we're not all professional athletes. And so that's really um, one of the biggest things. And obviously genetics does play into um, a factor here, but as you get faster, it does become harder to get faster because you are going to have to make more sacrifices and really pay attention to every little aspect of your life becomes so much more important in terms of reaching your potential. Whereas at the beginning, um, you can see improvements by not really doing a whole lot. And you can see improvements from just basic things. Like if you're someone who's never right. ran before, you could maybe run one day a week for a year and you're gonna see improvements almost every single week. Um, and then just from there, it's like you, maybe you're running two days a week, then it's three and then four. Um, and you'll have to like increase your volume so much more to see right. results once you start getting to um, those faster paces. And so that's the law of diminishing returns is you're going to see like these huge gains right away. And then it's going to become harder and harder. You're going to have to 
put in more work to see even smaller gains. And so that's what's really hard for people to wrap their head around is in the beginning, didn't really have to work so hard. You're getting two minute 5K PRs, you're getting PRs at every single race, and then all of a sudden it just, you're doing that high volume that got you there, but you might have to like double that volume over time and that's gonna yield you maybe like a 20 second PR. And people think, wow, I have to put in that much more work and I'm not even getting that much faster, but that's just how this law works. Yeah, I think it also, you know, it's going to be different for like a new runner, um, comparing them to maybe a runner who's experienced, who maybe just took a bunch of time off, right? Mm. And so if you're if you're a runner that maybe goes through different seasons of your life where you're not running, then you want to get back to running again, this will apply to you because let's say, for example, when you're in your peak fitness, you can run maybe like a 130 half. I know that's pretty fast. Um, but maybe right now, because you haven't been running, you're right around like two hours or 150, right? So just with some consistent training and volume over the next, I don't know, six weeks, let's say you could probably take 10 minutes off your halftime right away mm-hmm. or even 15 minutes, right? But to get that last like 10 minutes, you could spend a full year trying to get that back. And so that's sort of the uh, the example here of what we talk about like, um, you know, to get the first 10 minutes, all you had to do is like increase your, your running. You mentioned maybe just running three to four days a week. Right. But then eventually you're going to have to make other changes, like maybe adding in workouts or, you know, incorporating strength training to kind of get back to that level. And so, um, yeah, the rate at which we progress is going to sort of shrink or, um, you know, the time is going to, uh, it's going to be more difficult to take time off. Right. Absolutely. And I've experienced that personally, just like every time, um, I've gone through pregnancy and then postpartum. It's like there you, you start back, mm-hmm. you do a time trial, and it's like so far from where I was. But the fun part about it is that each week you're pretty much able to see new gains, whether that's from hitting like mm-hmm. a faster speed in a workout than you have in the same postpartum period, or you know, doing your longest run. Each time you're able to like build on that. But eventually, after a couple months, you reach a place where it's like, okay, um, I'm not seeing the same gains anymore. Now it's time to like get to a new level of fitness. So like you said, when you're coming back after time off, it can be really easy to see fitness gains. But once you start approaching um, maybe where your peak fitness used to be, as you start getting closer and approaching that, it becomes, again, that much harder to reach the next level. Um, And that's what's really hard about running is it's just a game of consistency, really. Mm -hmm. Um, The longer you can stay consistent for and have those stretches where you're able to reach that next level, the fitter and faster you're going to become overall. But that's a really challenging part as a coach or even just as an athlete is staying consistent because that's going to be the number one thing that's going to get you to where you want to go in terms of your long-term goals. So a lot of people will come sign up. They say, I really want to qualify for Boston. Maybe they're like a five-hour marathoner. And it's like our job as coaches is to get them to that long-term goal and for a goal like that i mean you're talking taking 90 minutes off a marathon time it's going to take years unless you're a magical unicorn you can do it you know faster but for most people it's going to take years if not like a decade of training to get to that point and so we always like to take the long-term approach and that is how can we get you to be the most consistent possible year after year week after week Um, and that's going to be mitigating injury that's going to be taking the preventative approach in terms of having off seasons, having rest days. And so whenever we're approaching topics like training for marathons and like the correct way to train and that sort of thing, 
I'm always thinking long-term gain and that's why I'd rather be on the conservative side because if you're able to be more consistent, that's really what's gonna get you to that next level. And so I don't really think it's worth the risk of towing the line and potentially going over it, getting hurt, um, getting burnt out to get like maybe a point, a fraction of a second faster when we could have that long game approach, you could reach like a completely new level. Yeah, you know, you mentioned like qualifying for Boston, right? And and uh, for a lot of people that might be like a long-term goal. Um, and for some, if they've taken like a lot of um, time periods off of running, you know, that might be kind of what re-sparks their interest to get back to running. Like, oh, I, I still want to try to get to this uh, level of fitness because I know I can do it. You know, I got close maybe a few, few years ago. Um, and so that kind of um, gets them motivated to start running again. Well, a lot of times having that in the back of their mind is their long-term goal isn't necessarily the best thing. The, the best focus might be to set some short-term goals. Like I want to get just get back to this level of fitness once I've, do, once I've reached that checkpoint then I can focus on what I need to do to get to this next level. Um, and so, you know, for some runners, it's just not fair to like have that, that long-term goal be like the only mm -hmm. thing that's um, keeping them motivated. You definitely want to set those realistic attainable goals that you can achieve within like, I don't know, three to six months. And then you can kind of go from there. Um, because it will be easier, I think, to when you accomplish that short-term goal much faster, you know, obviously you're gonna, um, it'll be easier to kind of maintain that momentum as opposed to feeling like, oh my gosh, it's been three months and look how far I am still away from this long-term goal. But if you set your sights on something that you need to achieve just to kind of get to that point, I think you're gonna be um, on a better pathway long-term. Definitely, like having long-term goals is great. And I think it's like a compass, right? So let's say you have a young kid who's like seven years old and he's like, yeah, I wanna be a doctor, I wanna be a surgeon. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, that's great. Like really good, like anchor point of where you wanna kinda end up in life um, and then, things may change along the way, right? And this is same with running. Let's say you're like a three hour marathoner and you're like, I really wanna to get to 3.30 and qualify for Boston. You know, that's great. Like that gives you like a, a destination that you wanna to get to. So let's set sail towards that goal. Um, but just like the child who wants to become a surgeon, it's like, okay, well on the path to get there, you're still gonna to have to go to elementary school, middle school, high school. <laughs> like you're still gonna to have to kind of check through all of these points and then Maybe in college there's a little bit more flexibility of like what you're majoring in, but most likely it's probably gonna be like a pre-med. And then there's like a path to get there. And with each um, benchmark you're hitting, let's say it's graduating from elementary school, graduating from middle school, graduating from high school, you're reaching that next level. And when you enter into that next phase, you're able to think, okay, what's the next thing I need to do during this phase of my life to, to end up? at that destination at the end. So with a runner who is a five hour marathoner right now, it's like, yep, Boston is the long-term goal. We're definitely working towards that, but we can't skip any steps along the way. We have to build where you are right now. So we have to look at what are you doing currently with your weekly mileage? How can we make adjustments? How can we optimize your aerobic system right now? How can we work towards lowering your thresholds, working on VO2 max, all of the things that are going to get you to that next um, goal. And like you said, having short-term goals is really important. So they're not as clear cut as like graduating from elementary school, graduating from middle school, right? So we have to kind of, as a coach, be creative and help athletes come up with what these shorter term goals might be. So if you're a five hour marathoner and maybe your 5k time is around 31 minutes, maybe as a coach, we do like a one mile time trial, see where your one mile is at, and then work towards the goal of 
hey, in six months from now or in three months, I don't know, let's try to make this one mile time your 5K time. And so working towards what sort of workouts you need to be doing twice a week to get to that level. And so on a weekly basis, your goal should be nailing your workouts and trying to get your weekly mileage in. And so each week and each day, you can actually set goals for yourself towards that overall overarching long-term goal. And just like the kid, the seven-year-old who's in elementary school and has become a surgeon, it's like within the day-to-day of that kid's life, he knows that going to school, working hard towards tests and all those things, is it going to directly affect like his med school like exams? No, but it's working on that foundation to get there later in life. And so that's where we really wanna focus on the day-to-day stuff because that is laying the foundation for later on when you are in that Boston qualifying training cycle and you wanna run that 3.30 or three hour marathon. Um, So it's really important to have that foundation set. And that's what I like to have my athletes do is know what their goals are in the next six to 12 months um, and then setting realistic goals on what can we really achieve in the next six months? Have it very direct. What is is our um, goal outcome? And then what are little benchmarks we can work on every week, every month, every day to keep us focused towards that overarching goal? Yep, exactly. And so one of those questions was like, how long does it take to get to your peak fitness? And you know, that, that is going to depend on what you define as, um, the peak fitness you're trying to get to as far as like, is it more in line with like a short-term goal or is it the long-term goal of, of running the BQ? And obviously it'll kind of depend on like how far you are from, from that point right now. And so, um, you, you brought up a good example. Another one that's a little more running related that I think of is like high school kids, right? So a lot of kids will run track like all four years in high school. And, um, you know, I think back to like my freshman year and a big, I guess a big barrier for like freshman boys would be to like break the five minute mile. And so, um, you know, they're going to peak probably at the end of their freshman year if they can try to hit that mile and then they'll get a little break and they'll hopefully run all all year next year. And then hopefully they can do a little bit better run 450 as a sophomore or break into the 440s. That would kind of be like the next goal. Um, and so, yeah. And then down the road, they may have a goal of like qualifying for state, right. Or breaking 430 when they're senior, whatever it is. And so it's just sort of like peaks and valleys, I guess, or mainly peaks. And then you try to recover without, you know, after you take your off season, you want to close that gap of like time off. Right. And then you can kind of focus on maintaining, um, everything you've gained. And then it'll be easier, I think, to, um, you know, just stay consistent long-term. So hopefully that kind of paints a better picture. Um, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that kind of moves into our, our second point of the limiting factors to how fast you can become. And you touched again on like the consistency piece. And even for someone who is relatively consistent, um, there are still limiting factors that are in place. And I coach a lot of people where maybe they're physicians and they have really busy work schedules. They're just not able to put in Um, more than four or three days a week of running. And so we have to really do what we can with the time that we have and utilize that. But I think most people realize that like that is a limiting factor, like your schedule and let's say you have four kids and it just gets to be busy. And so we can do the best we can with the time we have, but ultimately knowing that it's going to probably take a little bit longer if you're running three to four days a week versus someone who maybe is able to run five, six, seven days a week and doesn't have those additional stressors in their life. Like, 
you look at a professional runner, right? And they're obviously able to run an incredible amount of miles, but I think the biggest reason they're able to do that, obviously they can build up to it, but the whole idea is their whole life really revolves around running. And so they're able to rest a lot, um, when they're not on their run. So a lot of their day is like spent laying low, relaxing, that sort of thing and recovering for their next session. And I know we have a few people on our coaching staff who are professional runners for, gosh, what is the name of the Minnesota Distance Elite. Minnesota Distance Elite, formerly known as Team USA Minnesota. So it's a local professional team here. And one of the coaches was really looking to get out of working at a running shoe store. And that wasn't because he didn't enjoy working there. It was because having that time on your feet was just like too exhausting and it was starting to impact his training. And even though he was really only working there on a part-time basis, just standing for the additional 15 hours a week, that was too detrimental to his training. So that is the level of you know precision that some of these people are really going after so you have to ask yourself like what are my limiting factors before you start playing like the comparison game and that sort of thing and really taking that into consideration so maybe you are someone that you were able to run like a 22 minute 5k in high school or something but now you're in your 30s you've had three kids and you are hoping to maybe get that fitness back, but it, it's gonna take you a little bit longer to get back to that fitness because you have more limiting factors potentially as you know a 30 year old mom of three kids with a career than you did in potentially high school where you didn't have a lot of those additional responsibilities and stressors in your life. And so being able to kind of realize where you're at and knowing what your personal limiting factors are in terms of training can actually really empower you. So I don't want people to think, oh, I'm so limited. It's more of like an empowering thing because you're able to identify where these points are and then rationalize to yourself, okay, like it might take me a little bit longer, but now I'm understanding the process and understanding really what it's taking to build my fitness and all of those things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely something that um, comes to mind when we talk about limiting factors would be like stress, right? So mm-hmm. we think about stress from work or from other um, commitments that you have. And sometimes in a sense, if you're doing a little bit less running, you're going to get more of a, a bang for your buck than if you're overtraining, right? If you're putting too much stress in your body, you're just always feeling like crap on your runs. You're probably not going to produce a very quality um, like race result when you get to your, your race day. And so it's important that you think about stress as a whole and try to, um, you know, optimize your running in that way. And then the other part is um, thinking about just time on your feet, right? So you you talk about the elite runners and how, you know, they've built up to this certain level of fitness. And obviously the more time you spend doing anything, right? Whether it's like learning a foreign language or just learning Mm -hmm. a new concept, you're going to pick it up and become um, more efficient with it, right? And so same concept with running. The more you do it, your body becomes more efficient. We know about all the physiological benefits, and that's why you talked about running. Someone who's running five, six, seven days a week is going to um, probably get to a higher level of fitness sooner than someone that's running three to four days a week, right? And so you just have to kind of weigh the, I guess, weigh where where you're at with running and with your um, personal and professional life and think about, like, um, you know, good timing in terms of like races too, right? Like maybe it's not the best time to do a marathon training cycle if you have a lot going on in your life, right? I may be mm-hmm. waiting for something to calm down a little bit more um, and that sort of thing. So we want to think about just stress as a whole and how that will impact us. 
Yeah, stress definitely is a huge factor. I know sleep kind of goes hand in hand with that. So if you're not getting oh, yeah. adequate sleep, it's like the whole stress plus rest equals growth equation. Like you need to be able to recover from all the stressors in your life in order to train at that high level. So just evaluating like where's your stress level in all areas of life. Like even if it's good stress, like you're getting a ton of promotions at work and it's things that you want. Um, even like having kids, right? Like that's stressful, but it's like something you want, but it's just more um, responsibility on your plate and so you really have to evaluate like your responsibility levels and like how you're able to manage all of that um but other factors that maybe people aren't thinking about is your genetics right so obviously um there are people who just are gifted with better genetics and that can come down to things like your connective tissue your bone density um part of that is there is a genetic component at play there's also a genetic component at play when it comes to um like your ability your vo2 max and those sort of things and so we want to address that just so that we are aware that everyone does kind of have those different genetic capabilities and of course working hard and um, putting in the work is going to offset so much of that and you can really override a lot of the genetics but let's say you and Sally Joe, you run exactly the same, you have the same exact background, that sort of thing. One of you is going to end up faster and that's probably due to genetics. Yeah. Um, you know, genetics, genetics, we know are, um, definitely an important thing. We talked about in previous podcasts, like, um, people that perform well in races and how durable we talk about durability. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you're someone that, um, is constantly having these little hiccups, that's, kind of throw, derailing your training, um, that can be really frustrating. And so how you navigate those waters and kind of overcome that and get back to running consistently is, is super important. Um, and so sometimes the factors can be, um, you know, more mental things too. Like even if you live in a, um, an area where it's like really hot all the time, right. That can be, that can be tough to always want to go out and run. Um, or if you're feeling like you can't hit your paces, um, those sorts of things affect how you view your running. And so, it's really important to um, just be aware of all of the things that are going to go into your level of performance. Absolutely. And yeah, just circling back to the genetic thing, um, there's obviously a lot of factors that are at play when it comes to things like connective tissue, bone density, those sort of genetic factors at play. But um, there are some genetic components at play. And sometimes I look at certain people's training and they're just more prone to like I have friends where it's like they get all these stress fractures or not all of these but it's like they've gotten stress fractures and I always look at my own training I'm like how have I never in the 14 years I've been running I've never had a bone knock on wood I've never had a um any sort of stress reaction stress fracture nothing I've never broken a bone in my life um and it's really interesting like no one in my family has either and we're all runners and just in in general like no one's ever broken a bone and so there's a book called deep nutrition that I read last year that talked a lot about how there is a genetic component to bone density so you could have like the same diet as someone you could be doing all of the same things but some people just have like more of a genetic predisposition to having like certain deficiencies um in uh, whatever it is composing mm -hmm. like vitamin d or whatever you know um different things that are going on so i thought that was a really interesting book and it talked a little bit about the type of dietary changes that you could make to try to ensure that your connective tissue and like your bones and all that stuff get the proper um proper nutrition needed because i know that can be a huge factor when it comes to 
um, like the bone stuff, right? So stress fractures and stress reactions are probably one of the most common thing injuries for um, runners that get people put out for six plus weeks at a time. And it's something that no one ever wants to go through. And I know especially prevalent in like female athletes. And so that's why if you're not getting your period, um, it's really important to get those things addressed and make sure you're kind of going in and getting that addressed because that's not um, a healthy sign, right? Like as soon as you shut off um, your period, if you're a female, that's usually like a red flag that something's going haywire in your body. Um, and so usually that kind of goes hand in hand with people who are getting um, the stress fractures, but it can also happen to anyone, even if you're all signs are pointing to normal health. So I think if you're someone who's ever experienced that before working with a registered dietitian and we have two on staff here can help immensely because there is a lot of nutritional components that can go into that as well in addition to the training factors. Yeah, and I think um, getting back to the durability thing and just injuries in general, you know, sometimes this is a good reminder to not compare your training, especially as we look at like how fast it takes to see results because every athlete's kind of has their own unique biology, right? Mm-hmm. And their makeup and their and their uh, experience with, with running other sports too. Like a lot of times we see athletes maybe from other, that played other sports growing up, they right. pick up running as an adult and they're, they're able to just kind of take off and see results and stay healthy, right? Um, just because maybe they built a certain foundation with their previous sports. Maybe they're a soccer player growing up or they played hockey or lacrosse or gymnastics. And so, um, you know, swimming is another great one. So a lot of times it's just, it's just, um, you know, a result of like how active you were as a kid. Sometimes if you took a long period of time where you weren't very active and then you try to go run, you have to just be a little bit more careful with the progressive overload principle, right? Cause we don't want anything to flare up. I know for me, I'm kind of that way. I used to be super active all the time in, in high school and college. And so, um, if I tried to go out and run like the same workouts or even the same volume, I would probably end up with an injury. So it's just something now I'm in my mid to late thirties. It's, it's something I have to be a lot more cognizant of, um, because I've had so many like interrupted gaps over the years. Right. So it's just really important to, um, be aware of, of the, um, the consistency piece or lack thereof rather in the past, but also the slow progressive overload, making sure that it's, um, your body has time to adapt to those changes. Definitely. And I feel like that's getting into like the fourth point of the podcast that I wanted to talk about. So we kind of skipping over um, the third. But why do some people improve faster than others? You started to kind of allude to that um, where you see people who are coming to the sport of running and they have no apparent um, background running. um, And all of a sudden they're like dropping like a 22 minute 5k on their first 5k Mm -hmm. race. And I see this happen more frequently than not. Right. And I think you know, the longer I've been doing this and been working in the fitness industry, I kind of start to see trends. And what I realize is that there are people who come to the sport of running where they were extremely physically active before. So maybe they never formally ran, but let's say they did sports in high school and they were very competitive. And then after high school, they continued to stay active, hitting the gym up throughout college. And they were really competitive and aggressive with how they trained, even though they were not a college athlete or or anything like that. Um, Some of these people, are going to like orange three fitness and they're like hammering it out so think of the people if you've ever been to a workout class who are just like top of class like they are just going to town they could basically be the instructor some of these people i'm i go to like heated yoga twice a week and i am literally shocked at how athletic and fit some of these people are i almost Mm -hmm. want to be like what do you do you know because they look so and they're so like nimble and i'm like if you 
took what you're doing here and you translate it into running, they would pick it up so fast. And I can just tell because they're able to flow through these series in this sequence and it is partially aerobic and there is that endurance piece to it, but I bet most of the people in these yoga classes are not runners. But if you translate those skills that you have of pushing yourself, um, the endurance of just being in a gym for an hour a day, several days a week, which is some of what some of these people are doing, you're going to see that these people have like a more quote unquote natural ability. But what right. that is, is it's just you're translating what they were doing in a different realm into the sport of running. So it's going to look like they just have this supernatural gift, but usually it's, you can trace it back. And that's what I always like to do is just kind of get familiar with someone's background. And it's really common in the fitness industry that people go from like one sport to another. And I know even with my running background, runners are notorious for being like not great at lifting, especially if they don't have a background doing it. And sometimes now when I'm doing lifting, I'm like, wow, like this, this is really, I could see myself getting competitive with it if I didn't have that running um, aspect as well. So I think people who are athletes and who really enjoy fitness in general, they can make these jumps from one fitness activity to another and appear to like have this natural talent out of nowhere. But I think it's just that fitness is very versatile. And so you might take someone who's never done any sort of formal run training or marathoning but you're able to plop them in that situation and they thrive because they've been doing it their entire mm -hmm. life. Yeah, really good point. It just reminded me of a few cases from like high school and college. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Antonio Vega was a professional runner and he, he happened to go to my high school and so he was a soccer player and he only ran track. Um, and finally his senior year, we convinced the coach to have him do cross country and soccer at the same time. And so they, he did you know very little training for cross country. He just hopped in a few races and ended up being like really good at it because of his soccer background. And so um, it was his first year doing uh, cross country, ended up fourth in the state that year. Um, and then he went on to focus just on running in college. And then we saw how good he was, became an all American and national champion in the half marathon um, as a professional runner. But so yeah, you just don't know like what what mm -hmm. people's alternative, um, you know, activities or things they've been, they've been involved with, what sort of um, how that's going to prepare them for running, right? Not just physically, but also like mentally. So you take someone who's just very, maybe like they're very consistent type A with like a routine or with persevering through challenges and then that applies to their running and then boom, you see these like really drastic improvements in a short period of time. And, and that's why it's not just about like the genetics or the physical um, benefits. It's, it could be a lot of mental things as well that are going on. Right, definitely. And even that reminds me of Coach Megan, right? So she never ran in high school or college, but she was doing um, soccer. And I think Duluth is like a D2. Mm -hmm. So she was like a D2 soccer player. But, you know, anyone who knows soccer knows, okay, you're doing a lot. Like, you're out there for hours, like an hour and a half playing a game, probably maybe longer. Um, you're just running back and forth. And so it's not formal running, but she was able to, like, go out and say, hey, I want to run Grandma's Marathon a couple of months after, you know, being done with soccer. And she runs a 307 first marathon. So anyone who hears that goes 307 first marathon, that's 100% talent, blah, blah, blah. But yes obviously maybe there's some talent there but what they're not seeing is all of that time doing like soccer let's count like how many miles per week was she running on the soccer right. fields like no one really knows for sure but it was probably a lot and if you start doing that when you're four years old like right. she did 
well, she has 16 years running experience. It's not as formal as maybe yours was when you were in middle school and high school doing cross country and track, but it's still running and it's aerobic and you're using the same systems and you're an athlete and you know how to be competitive, all of those things. And so you put it into a different, um, a different situation where you're saying, okay, train for this marathon, do the race. And it looks like natural talent, but really it's like this aerobic base. Um, there was another person that Megan coached, uh, in 2019, she said he just really started running, um, six months before and he wanted to run the Chicago marathon. And I was like, Whoa. And his goal was like crazy. It was like three, three twenty or something. Right. Um, and I thought it was interesting. We would kind of talk about it sometimes and she's like, no, like he's doing really well. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like what did he do before? Cause like you don't just mm-hmm. hop into running six months later. And she, he ended up running three Oh seven, I think for his first marathon in Chicago, something like that. And that's his first marathon. He started running six months prior. It's like, it makes your head explode. But he was like a super competitive CrossFitter and all of that stuff. So what I know about CrossFit is they do do some sort of like sprinting. Sometimes there's running involved. You're doing the rowing machine. You're really going to town with like the lifting too. So it's like not a lot of rest. So it can be aerobic, right? And if he had been doing that for 10 years prior to making that Mm -hmm. jump to running he's building a little bit of that aerobic endurance from doing all of those other activities. It's kind of like cross training. Um, And then he just has that athlete mindset. So he's used to pushing himself. He knows how to do that. And actually recently, the reason he's coming to my mind is we recently had a post about um, kind of like the equivalent times. So if you can run an 1845 5K, That's about the equivalent um, fitness-wise of like a three-hour marathon. And he commented and he was like, it would be way easier for me to run an 1845 5K than a three-hour marathon. And someone else is kind of debating him. But it's funny because that's probably true. Because a lot of what he was doing for his CrossFit training was kind of the shorter stuff. It was more anaerobic in nature. And so he doesn't have as big of an aerobic base as, say, someone who's been running for 10 years. And the person who was debating him was someone who had been running for 10 years and who kind of has more of an aerobic base. And he's saying, wow, I wish I could do 1845 5Ks like it, they were easy. But um, so it's just a different perspective. Everyone's kind of coming at it from a different background. And I think that's really important to note um, when it comes to setting goals. And so that's really where this third point came in, kind of skipped over it. But how long will it take to see results? And so I had a few examples that were coming to mind. So how long does it take to go from a five hour to a four hour marathon? How long does it take to go to a four hour marathon to a three hour marathon? And then how long would it take to go from a three hour marathon to a 230? So these are very different examples, right? Um, One of them might, two of them you might think they're impossible, right? But let's kind of break it down um, with the first example, Jason. What what do you think is a solid answer there from how long is it going to take to go from a five-hour to a four-hour marathon? Yeah, again, very, very broad question here. It'll really depend on like how, um, you know, you could have three different cases of this, right? right? So person A, B, and C, and uh, how much was, how much were they training? How long were they training for Mm -hmm. just to achieve that five-hour, right? Because some people might be actually running like 30 miles a week. Other people might be running um, 10 miles a week, you know? And so, or and some people might have been running for six months, some people maybe two months. So um, I think, like, to give you an average, I would say um, it could probably take a person three to four years. Now, do you want to talk about this one, or can I go on to four to three? Uh, you can talk about it first. 
Four to three. I want to talk about that one next. So the reason oh, I man. think it, it's a little bit less, it's like three years. I, I would say it's possible. Wait, for, to do five to four? Yeah. I think it can be done in three years. Yeah, if you don't have any like hiccups or breaks right. in the training. Especially, and you're like 100%. Especially if you were like a first-time marathoner and you ran like, I don't know, 508 or 505 yeah. your first. And then I think you can get down an hour in about three years if you're consistent. If right? you're consistent. That's yep. the the big asterisk. Like, if We've you seen are it done. I should say that. Consistent. We've seen it done before. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, now, but, yeah, you got to be consistent. That's well, and that's the thing. One, the people yeah. that are going to do it are probably going to do it, you know, within four or five years. I mean. Oh, yeah. I yeah, guess, I think four I or five is like might, a better. might do it. You know. In 10 years, like if they are, right. I guess, like a. Well, it depends um, on like your runner. age as well, too. Like my right. mom, she started doing marathons in her 50s. Right. I, I mean, she but I, yeah, change, what I'm but... saying is like, how quick can it happen, right? Right. Like that's, how quick? that's what I'm oh, saying. Oh, yeah. Three years. I it think might it, even be less if you're like, it just, might even be less. Let's say if you come from a background of a different sport or something like that. Or like, you blew up totally in right, like your first right, marathon right. and like you were actually in shape to run. But that's like why I said four. an average three to four years, I think. Now for the next one, the four to three, <laughs> you're an example of this. Oh, and no. so how long did it take you? That's what I'm curious ten, about. Ten years. Ten years roughly. And so. I still haven't ran three oh oh. I ran three oh one. But I've taken more than an hour off. Yeah. Yeah. Hour seven minutes. So like ten years, like a decade. Okay, so about a decade for that one. And that one again, yeah, I would say eight to ten years is what I would say for that. And I think some people maybe would never... I mean, you had two kids during that period, too. I do so. think there is, like, part of that, like, genetic component in there, too. Because eventually, like, with age, right? So I bef- I was, I did that when I was 30, right? So right. I, I finished that goal when I was in my 30s. Um, you know, if you're coming at it and you're in, like, your 40s, 50s, like, it mm-hmm. might not be in the cards to run that fast of a marathon, but... Um, maybe we could change this and have it be like 415 to 315 or whatever it may be. And then it's, it's a matter of like asking yourself the questions of like, am I willing to do kind of the extra stuff to get to the three hour or to get like the extra one minute? Because it was really interesting going from four to 345 really wasn't that challenging. Um, going from 345 to 325, it took like a, I really had to make some adjustments to the training to really get to that like BQ level. Right. Um, well, and it's important to think about like most runners aren't gonna reach that point. Like a lot of runners will probably stop. Well, cause it won't be like worth it. I right. think most people could like if they really like want it, like, right. but it's just like the amount of work that you would have to do for like years and years and like right. every single day. I, it's just a, a matter of like, is it even worth it? Um, cause even I, you know, I struggle with like staying consistent with training and I'm like, I don't even know for me personally, like, is it worth it to like, train for three years or however long to like get to the next um mm-hmm. to the next point but you know i'm something i'm going to do regardless um but i do think there becomes a like a line where it's like okay this is about as much as i'm comfortable doing and still enjoying running and not feeling like it's right. like this labor intensive thing that like i'm just have to do that sort of thing and you want to like be in a place where you're happy with your running and it doesn't feel like a chore so that's kind of where i like to draw the line but um there are so many factors right so to go from like 345 to 325 you might have to make a ton of adjustments and then to get that next piece to go from like 325 to 315 gosh i mean it could just be like everything is sacrificed to like at the the feet of running right like you it's like you gotta maybe eliminate drinking or like completely rehaul like your nutritional approach and stuff. Strength approach or something, Strength, right? Like- right, and and that's really where it, it started to become dicey, I think, for me. Um, and then from like 315 to, to getting out of three, it's like, okay, the amount of like 
intricacies in my training and like how on point everything really had to be for that to go right it's just like oh I don't know it's it's tough and so I think it's good to like ask yourself realistically like how long can I be consistent with this type of training um and like is it worth it to me right and so for a lot of people the answer is like yes it is worth it and so then I think definitely go for it but it could take several years to reach that next level because it does take time to build the fitness and you have to consistently do it for a very very long time to get to that extra edge yeah no i think and some then, people listening they may yeah they may be right. sort of like staying consistent and this is a good reminder like you know don't just give up like if you are consistent you can get to that point but but it will require time and patience and and energy and that's the other point is i think some people hear the word consistency and they're like okay yeah i'll just you know stay in my comfort zone over here and it's like no like you need to be consistently not in your comfort zone and that's the challenging part is it's really easy to stay consistent with running I think, if, especially if you're someone who like loves routine and stuff, but the hard part is that you still have to be outside of your comfort zone several yeah, times we a week. Yeah, about this yep. recent podcast about like the maybe, yeah, and like changing your your training cycle approach, right? Maybe like stepping away from the marathon, like right. training for the 5K, getting faster or whatever. Um, maybe it's increasing your mileage, right? Or yeah, getting really serious about the, the strength training, that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, there's so many factors involved. And then the last example I like to, to bring up, going from three hours to 2.30, um, <laughs> I, I mainly put this in here because I just thought it was, like, interesting. I couldn't even write from three hours to two hours because it's not even – no one's achieved that except for Elliot Kipchoge, right? Or, right. Um, you know, we could say three hours, like, two, 2.15 if you're a guy, right? So, to <laughs> me, this one kind of comes down to a few things. Like, where were you at comparing to your, like, peak – potential or performance when you achieve the three hour right because for some people if three hours if they spent years and years trying to get to three hours they're probably never going to get to 230 right (laughs) but if you're someone like maybe me or someone with like a background in running who came out of college and you debut your marathon right around that three hours you know Mm -hmm. you probably have a better chance at getting to 230 um in a shorter period um you know just with some very specific and intentional like marathon training right so and even that i know a lot of runners have never gotten to that point like i have Mm. friends that we were all very similar in college and yeah a handful of them have reached 230 or sub 230 and they're into the 220s now but people like myself we never got to that level and and i know other runners too that are still trying to get there they might have got to 240 or in the mid 230s but um those limiting factors (laughs) right the law of diminishing returns too it's just like you have to be so diligent and so committed and consistent right um, well right and you were teaching throughout those years where you were like in your peak fitness in terms of like speed and mileage and so i think having having that as a factor and then also being in grad school and coaching like there was just a lot going on and so i think it would have been easy for you at the time to like compare yourself to I, I won't say names, but someone who maybe potentially had a desk job, like maybe right. a job more like I used to have, where it's like I was sitting at a desk all day. So yeah, yeah I could sit there and run um, a ton of mileage. I wasn't tired. My work was mentally exhausting, but it was not physically demanding. Like a teacher who is a physical education teacher and then coaching after. And there's just so many factors that 
um, going to play with that. And that's why it's hard with like the comparison thing. Cause like we could sit here all day and talk about like these examples and be like, well, I know someone that did it in, in six months. I know someone that did it in mm -hmm. six years. And so you really have to take into consideration and like give yourself self-compassion too, because you're just doing the best that you can. And sometimes when we're sitting there trying to compare, it's just not, it's not fair or realistic, um, in terms of that, but going from three hour to two thirty, I think there's someone as Patrick Cutter, he kind of mm -hmm. started around that three hour point and he's been working trying to at what is he like 234 yeah 230 yeah three, so he's four, a big instagrammer um just a friend that we've seen at boston several years but he's really started running competitively i think close to a decade ago probably a little longer but he's been really chasing after that 230 um and again like a lot of diminishing returns is like he got kind of down to the 240s and was there for a while and it was i think it was it yeah, took less time to go from three to like 240 than it did to go from like 240 right. to to 235 ish or whatever and you really hover and it's like you have to hover there for so long and so consistent and and he's still after they chasing it and doing all the work and so that's what i think is inspiring when people just like stay at it and stay consistent because it's like they still believe that all of it's going to pay off or they, they see benefit in even training for a goal even if um Right. You know, regardless of getting the result. Exactly. They're not. content with just trying and with like, you know, knowing like, oh, if I can just just move the needle this much further, I'll be content. You know what I right. mean? Like, it's not always about. Well, and it's not even really about the end time. And that's why right. whenever I was at any sort of major race and I see people and they ask me, oh, like, what's your goal? And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't have a goal. Like, I just, because to me, the goal is I'm just trying to get through a training cycle. I'm trying to just better myself as a person, trying to get better at running and if you know the race just doesn't go great like it's not gonna change anything for me and I think that's a really good place to be at because I used to be opposite on the spectrum where I was like oh I have to run this time have to run this time and that was really like the hyper focus for me so I don't I don't really like to chase after time related goals because I feel like it kind of blurs the line because I don't want to train so hard for a time yeah. and then you know race day goes average and then you're 30 seconds off and you feel so upset and stuff so right. i i think it's better to just have the approach of i'm doing everything i can to try to get to that next level um and obviously that is my long-term goal right like it's way up there in the future but however whatever this one race that i'm at goes doesn't really change anything yeah one thing i noticed a lot of my athletes that i coach and i um i guess a lot of them they don't really have you know, they maybe their goal is to do a specific race, right? Like maybe they just really want to experience New York City Marathon or something like that. And it's not really about a specific time, right? Like when they sign up for the race, it's not like they think, oh my gosh, I'm going to run my four hour marathon here at this race or whatever. You know, you just, you do the, the races that you really want to experience. And then the time will sort of, you know, um, come with the training. Like you'll figure out like right. what's the best time to try to target based on your level of fitness, right? Because we all have things that come up over the course of training or whatnot, or maybe you're going to do some other races too. And so, you know, that's where we talked about too on a previous podcast, get away from like the time. So much. don't be so uh -huh. hyper-focused on the time, focus more on, um, the process and doing the events that you enjoy. Um, you know, some people want to become a marathon maniac or an ultra marathoner or just, a, you know, complete all 50 States or whatever it is. And so like, just be on that path always to try to um, check those boxes. And I think over time, it'll be easier then to really kind of reach your potential in the sport. 
Definitely. And that kind of gets into our last point. Like how long does it take to actually see results after you start training? So let's say someone goes to our website, they fill out the form, they start working with us. We do a free seven day trial for anyone interested. So runforprs.com. Um, you start the seven day trial, right? And I think sometimes in their head, people are thinking, all right, I, I want to start seeing, feeling results like right away. And that's how it is with anything, right? Like if you go on a diet or if you're trying a new job like you want to feel connected you want to feel like it's working you want to feel like you're losing weight if that's your goal on this Mm -hmm. diet right you want to feel stronger more energetic you want to feel something and the fact of the matter is when it comes to physiologically with running and getting faster um, science is saying that it takes six weeks to actually physiologically see gains from uh, workouts that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the whole idea of a marathon taper. So you're tapering for a marathon usually th- two to three weeks. And what they say in the last two weeks is you're not going to gain or lose any fitness, but you could ruin your race by, you know, racing a workout or whatever. Um, so really, two weeks is like the min- bare minimum that any sort of workout would have any sort of impact at all on your fitness. But really the bulk of it, it's going to take up to like six weeks to really see any sort of gains. And then people start to get a little confused because they're like, well, I feel faster right away. Like, why is that the case? Or why did I improve in my 5K race after two weeks or three weeks? And so when people have experiences that don't fall in alignment with this because they're like, well, I improved my fitness in three weeks. Um, That's why we want to talk about some of these other factors that are at play. So physiologically, it is going to take several weeks but there are other things that are involved with running so some of it could be like pacing right so let's say you pace a 5k and you go out at like eight mm-hmm. minute pace second mile is nine and then the last mile is 10 you're gonna run an average of nine minute pace for that 5k simply by the next weekend going out and <laughs> exactly. starting at nine minute pace would potentially allow you to run like i don't know 30 seconds faster by having the appropriate pacing in place. So that's one factor. Another factor could be, okay, you did a really hilly 5K. Maybe you didn't think it was that hilly, but it was. Um, And then you're gonna do a different 5K. Maybe it's super flat, more competition. You paced it better. You get a tailwind. It's colder out. There's like all these extra factors. And here a runner thinks, oh, I had a great day. I improved fitness, but there's other factors that are at play. And then also like the whole mental component, right? So we talked about pacing, we talked about other factors like weather, wind, that sort of thing. But mentally, sometimes on race day, you know, people get like super anxious. And when you're really anxious, it can go one of two ways, right? It can be like triggered as excitement and like, yeah, I'm ready, like I'm down to do this. And it can be a good thing, like adrenaline can be a good thing. But it can also go the opposite way, right? So let's say you're staying at the start line, you're getting really nervous, you're like, I don't think I can do this. You start getting all worried, your body goes into fight or flight or freeze, and all of a sudden you're like in freeze mode. And like your body just like shuts it down. Like I've seen this happen to people time and time again where they're like, I just felt, I just bonked. Like I don't know. Even like a 5K, it's just like things just totally fell apart and it all started up in the brain mentally. And so if you're someone who could like placebo effect, right? You say, oh, I'm gonna have a really good race today. And like, you feel really confident. You could run maybe potentially a minute faster in a 5K, like depending on where you're at, right? Um, If you just 
are on fire mentally that day and you're like in a flow state versus you go out there and you're just like panicking and all that stuff. Yeah, you know, this is all this is all very it resonates with me because I've I've seen a lot of emails come in over the years that the question is how long will it take me to reach my goal, you know, and it, <laughs> oh, the goal man. might be I don't know, sub 4 or whatever it is in the race. And so um it, now hopefully by after listening to this you're realizing that's like a complicated um answer to give you know this is going to depend on so many factors first of all we need to kind of observe your training and and look at like prior training look at workouts look at recent training look at race history all of these factors are going to go into that answer right and so um again kind of getting away from like what's the how long is it going to take and shift to more of like what are the process um, things i need to put in place Mm. to be able to be on the right track and then you'll be on the fast track and you'll get there faster if you focus on that stuff rather than just like, oh my gosh, I need to do it in eight weeks or eight months or whatever it is. Like kind of get away from that and focus more on like, what are the tangible things that I can do? Um, Maybe you've, you know, you've raced all your workouts or you haven't challenged yourself enough or you've done your easy days all in the gray zone way too fast, all these things, or you haven't done enough long runs, like whatever it is, um, if we fix them, hopefully um, that's going to be the, the important ingredients to, you know, to implement in your training to get there faster. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point. I think, you know, even I'm tempted to ask that question from time and time again, like when I wake up in the morning about to do a workout, I'm like, Mm -hmm. how long is this really going to take me to like get to my goal? And then I kind of have to slow myself down, think about it and be like, doesn't really matter because I'm still going to do the workout anyways. I think what I'm really looking for in that moment of like, oh, like how long is this going to take? I'm looking for like validation that like my efforts are worth it or that I'm Mm. doing everything that I can. And so at that point I try to go towards the things that are in my control, right? So we can't really control how fast we improve, right? Like all we can control is what stimulus we're giving our body, what amount of rest we're giving our body. And so you really want to focus on the things that you can control. And the biggest things you can control is doing your workouts, taking your easy days easy, um, being consistent, doing all of the little things that add up over time. And so that's not always the answer that people want to hear because they want to like crystal ball where they can see when is this going to happen for me? But um, all you can really control are the things within your reach. And then just letting the process kind of lead to the result is the best approach that I found because sometimes if we rely too much on that external validation of like okay you hit the time goal you hit this um it can be tough to continue to stay motivated for always waiting for something to tell us that our efforts are building towards something so really believing in yourself believing in your training um can really help and so once you start trusting the process I know that's such a cliche but you're able to see that every little thing that you're doing each day is adding up and able to give you that sort of validation that maybe you're looking looking for in terms of oh is my is my effort paying off because race day isn't always going to go according to plan you might be coming down with a cold on race day or you might just have like a fluke day you might have bad weather and so you don't want to wait on a race result in order to feel like you're gaining fitness I mean every run and every workout you should be able to evaluate at the end of it like am I am I doing everything I can like did I do anything that maybe impacted my performance right so every time I go out on a workout usually the paces are right around where I think they are and if they aren't like if I feel like hey maybe that my fitness isn't building or you know I feel like I'm getting slower or something like that I'll ask myself a series of questions like did I get enough sleep uh, how is my nutrition lately um, am I doing my workouts consistently because sometimes I don't um, am I 
running adequate mileage. Sometimes for me, it's, am I running too much, right? Do I need to back it down? Am I taking enough rest and recovery? Am I asking too much of my body? Like, am I doing too many other activities? Um, And those are factors that I think you can reflect on on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And then really using that as your catalyst for I am in control. I am able to make adjustments. And then at your next workout, you can try making some of those adjustments and then you might see an improvement in how you feel or how you perform. And that's really how you can measure things on um, a week to week basis and really build that confidence in your ability to adjust and to trust that what you're doing is paying off. Yeah, you said it, right? You said the um, trust the process. And that's really what this is about. It's, um, you know, running is, think of it like every everything you invest into your running, you're making deposits, right? And so the goal is, or the thought is that um, it's going to make you better and it's going to pay off eventually, right? And so you have to be smart and wise about the purchases that you make or the races that you do or the goals that you set, but it's all going to be um, worthwhile in the end. And hopefully, you know, this podcast kind of, you know, just affirms that there's a lot that goes into reaching your goals. Like it's not just about setting this arbitrary number that you want to achieve. And then, you know, because you put in some work, um, you're, you can expect to get there. It's not always about that. There's so many factors at play. And so you have to really be aware of everything that's going to, you know, contribute to your running, but also maybe, um, those, those factors that might get in the way. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack in this podcast. And I know sometimes it can be, kind of like a oh it depends answer and that's really how all of running goes right there is no crystal ball there aren't really any magic formulas because everyone's going to respond to training differently and that's why working with a coach can be so beneficial because the coach can adjust as you go and so it's not like we create a plan and then you just follow it on your own it's really the coach looking at how you're performing in the workouts making adjustments um because sometimes the plans that you find online it's like they aren't able to adjust with you as you go. And they're not able to be the most up-to-date with pace-specific and feedback from your coach. Um, And that's why we do what we do, so that we can give you a more specific answer based on each case-by-case scenario and really get to know you and cater our feedback to what how your runs are going how you are as an athlete and all of those things so if that's something you're interested in we always do a free seven-day trial of coaching with no strings attached it's just a chance for you to experience what it's like working with a coach because i know it can be a new thing for people so if you're interested in that you can fill out the form at www.runforprs.com and we can get you set up with a free seven-day trial we get you connected with a coach right away through email you're able to chat even set up a phone call if you want again that's www.runforprs.com for a free seven-day trial working with an expert coach thanks for tuning in